0: Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 11. All right, one of the things that we learn in Scripture is this idea of the already but not yet. Have you guys heard of this before, the already but not yet? We kind of live in this already but not yet to where if you're a believer, you've accepted Jesus and you're now a new creation. So you're already a new creation, but you don't experience, right, the full communion communion with God, you don't fully experience heaven until Jesus comes back and we go up and we're in heaven with him, right? Until we pass away and we're in heaven. We're in this already, but not yet. The best way I can think of it, uh, just imagery-wise for me, is engagement. So one of the the hardest times for me and Brittany's relationship was the engagement process. Uh, Once I put a ring on her finger, so... uh, I told you guys last week about how I pursued her and how we, we started dating. I asked her to be my wife on October 15, 2015, at the back of Mitch Park. There's a pond back there with a little, like, water feature, and there's some trees that are overhanging. I asked her to be my wife right there. And at that moment, I, I got the ring that I bled for, that I made milkshakes at Brahms for, and I did all of those things, and I put that on her finger saying, I'm committed to you. I want to marry you. I, I wanted to marry from the very first time I saw her and I got to put the ring on her finger. I'm like, okay, this is awesome. We're engaged. We're gonna get married. But we weren't married yet. It was her senior year of college, so we waited for from October to July. So it was a really long time where I was just ready for marriage. I mean like there was just this desire to be like, okay, I want you to move into my apartment. I want you to begin to do all of these things as a married couple to join bank accounts, and do all the things that married people do. And I wanted that to happen now. She was, we were committed to one another, already committed it together, but not yet married. Does that make sense? We see this dynamic in scripture as believers. We're already believers. We have communion with God now. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. But we're not yet on the other side of eternity. So we're living in this idea of where we're a new creation, but we still struggle with our flesh. We still struggle with sin, where there's tears and destruction and murder and anger and all of these things that happen in this world. We're still in the midst of this. And our passage tonight is wrestling with this already, but not yet. We learned last week in verses 1 through 4 that our life is in Christ. In Colossians 2, we talked and learned that Jesus, right, he forgave us of our sins by taking our place on the cross and defeating the powers. We understand that and that we're now new creations, but. Tonight we're going to be going through verses 5-11 through where it's talking about putting to death the flesh. Putting to death the worldly things inside of us. So yes, we're new creations, we're believers in Jesus, yet we still struggle with sin. Yet there's still a real fight that we have to fight each and every single day as a believer. So just kind of a a warning label as we get into, into tonight's text. There's going to be, it's going to seem a little heavy-handed at times because it's talking about this imagery of putting to death. And it's telling to stop doing this. Don't let this be named among you. So I don't want you to, to leave tonight saying, oh, well, I just feel terrible about myself. I have to do all of these things in order to achieve God's good graces. No, Jesus achieved that for us in Colossians too, right? He achieved it through his death and resurrection. We just live in this already-not-yet paradigm where we have to continue to seek Jesus and set our eyes on Jesus and not on the things of this world. So we put to death what is earthly and we seek what is holy. So I want you to understand that tonight. The second caution as we jump into this, there's two things that that Paul talks about tonight. He talks about sex and he talks about speech. There's a lot of times that sexual immorality, there can be different sermons just solely at sexual immorality... And you maybe think, oh, man, that, this one just gets ragged on all the time. Dylan, we know that all sins, you know, right? they commit, commit us to death because they're sinful. They're against what God has designed. We don't need to go on this again. Guys, we're simply preaching through the book of Colossians, and that's what Paul breaks, brings up, and he's calling us to put to death. So that's why I'm going to preach tonight what the text says. So, yes, there are other things that commit that convince, or puts us in death. But tonight we're going to talk about sexual immorality and we're going to talk about our speech. And know that this is coming from the word of God and not just some little pulpit that I wanted to to preach at. So I just want to warn you guys with that. But since we are living in this already but not yet paradigm, we are called to put to death our worldliness. And that's my main thought for us tonight, an umbrella thought, that we are called to put to death our worldliness. Let's pray as we open God's word. God, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your living and active word. And we thank you uh, that you do uh, encourage us and help us to walk faithfully with you. Now, I thank you for hard text. I thank you um, what they call us to and the seriousness that you bring about in them, that we are to seriously seek you every single day of our life, choosing you rather than choosing this world. And I pray that through uh, the heavy-handed what seems like text tonight, that we would find the encouragement that we do have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And the way that we're able to put to death the things of this world, that we're able to combat the devil's temptations, is that we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, empowering us to live for you. That's how we put to death the things of this world. So we pray that we would be encouraged by your word tonight and called to worship you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So the first point for us tonight is this. Put to death sexual immorality. Put to death sexual immorality. We're going to go verses 5 through 7. God's word says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you two once walked when you were living in them. So we see the serious language from the very beginning in verse 5, put to death. Now this isn't laissez-faire, passive, apathetic language that Paul is putting in uh, the book of Colossians here. It's active, it's aggressive, it's intentional. It says, put to death. And he, he's being serious. He, he wants us to take action. He wants us, our, our ears to perk up. He's calling us to something greater. He says, put to death. Don't let it be named among you. Right, Because remember, verses 1-4 through four is talking about our identity, what we seek and set our eyes on, that is Jesus. And it says that he is our life. Because he is our life, because we are now new creations in him, we therefore therefore put to death the things that he's about to do. And what you will see is that he will, you see this a lot in Paul's letters. A list of vices and a list of virtues. A list of things to not do and then a list of things to do. So we're going to see here... Four of the five things that that Paul is telling us here in the book of Colossians is about sexual immorality. So let's dive in and let's see what he's talking about. It says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So four of the five is dealing with sexual immorality. And this idea of sexual immorality, what's important for us to understand in a context of which we live Sexual immorality is not really a thing. The culture affirms that you pursue any sexual desire that you have. It pursues if you are feeling one way, you act on it. So we're living in a culture that says, hey, there's nothing known as sexual immorality. Whatever desire you have, just lean into it. Just go all into it. So that's the context we're living in. And what the Bible calls us to do is to put that to death, not let that be named among you. So when we talk about these sexual uh, immorality, when we talk about this most of the time, you'll hear, okay, homosexuality, relationships like that, those are against God's design. They are a sin. And I affirm that. That is a sin. That is not a part of what God's design is in Scripture. So he says, put to death that. Don't let that be named among you. Don't let that be something that you are involved in. But not only are we going to talk about the homosexual relationship, but we're also going to be talking about the other aspects of sexual immorality: pornography, fooling around, with your, fooling around with your boyfriend and girlfriend, what you're looking at on social media, what you're sending over a Snapchat, what you're sending over text, what you're doing when you're on the drive home from uh, the game or wherever you're going. That is sexual immorality as well because it is without it's outside the the, the design of what God has. Uh, made for us in our sexual desires. Those are supposed to be fulfilled within the confines in the covenant of marriage. But it says, put to death sexual immorality. Don't let that be named among you. Don't be in homosexual relationships. Don't be watching pornography. Don't be just staring and lusting after women or men all of the time. He says, don't let that be named among you. My commentary when it's talking about this idea of lust and passion, I love what it says in the quote afterwards. It says, in, the, in regards to lust and passions, it says it refers most often to the misdirected fulfillment of bodily appetites, usually sexual appetites. A passion is an uncontrolled and habitual lust. So when it talks about passion here, it's talking about this idea of an uncontrolled and habitual lust. That is what a passion is. That you're, It's uncontrollable, but it's something that you do all of the time. When lust goes unchecked, a passion for what is forbidden arises. So when we do not put to death the lust that we begin to feel in our hearts, when we let it go unchecked, it festers, it grows, and it creates a passion for what is forbidden in God's word. Habits are formed in which we feed them. Our habits are formed by the things that we feed them. So if pornography is something that we struggle with, Each time we watch it, it's feeding it, and it grows. Each time we are doing something with our boyfriend and girlfriend, that is growing that habit. That is growing that lust. That is growing that habit. And lust encourages passion, and passion produces more perverted lust. God has obviously called us to to save sex till marriage. He's called us to live a sexually moral life within the confines of marriage. And sometimes when we think of sexual immorality, it's like, okay, as long as we're not going all the way, we're good. But also he names here impurity, that when we go, everyone asks, how far is too far? When you're asking that question, you're usually in the wrong, and you're usually doing something that is making you impure. When you are going outside of God's original design, we're now in impurity. Now we're into sexual immorality. And this evil desire. And what's important to understand here uh, is this quote that I really love because we, what if we're tempted? Does that mean we're sin? We always ask that question. Well, if I'm tempted by it, does that mean I'm sinning? And I think this has a, a good answer for us. It says, it is perhaps important to note, as it is clearly implied by Hebrews 4.15, that experiencing sexual temptation is not in itself sinful. Right? Jesus was tempted just as we were. Sin begins when the idea of illicit gratification presented to the mind of temptation is not at once put to death, but is instead fondled and cherished. Sin begins when we do not put it to death, but we cherish that lustful thought, that temptation. When we cherish it, and when we feed it, and we act on it, that's when it becomes sin in our life. And again, why is he hitting on sexual immorality? It's because he wants to... To seek and set our minds on Jesus. Our culture is set, has set their mind on sexuality. Our culture has set their mind on transgenderism and the sexual revolution. That is what our culture has set their mind on. So that's what you see everywhere. But as believers, our minds are set on Jesus. Therefore, we put to death what is sexually immoral because that is not what God has called us to do. He's called us to live holy lives. And what's important here in verse 6... It says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. On account of these, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, the wrath of God is coming for those that partake in that. Just as the wrath of God is coming for those that are in a sinful state, that do not have Jesus as Lord and Savior, the wrath of God is coming. Yes, we understand that because all sin condemns us to hell. But what's important is to see when our culture celebrates this sexual revolution, right, they see it as a good thing. It's important for you to see that, no, the wrath of God is coming for it. That's what scripture says. The wrath of God is coming for sexual immorality, just like it's coming for lying and coveting. All sin, the wrath of God is coming. And the beautiful thing is, and what's important here, it says, on the contrary, the wrath of God is hardly saying it's a malicious anger. When it says the wrath of God is coming, it's not just God saying, oh, I'm just going to be angry at you and I'm just going to destroy you. It's a response, but the necessary reaction of true holiness, justice, and goodness to wickedness, exploitation, and evil of every kind, that God is so holy, he's so different, and this is so against his design that the wrath of God is coming because it has to, because it's sinful, it's because he is a holy God and he's calling us to that holy standard. And the beautiful thing, beautiful thing for us is that we aren't left in the path of the wrath of God. We aren't left there, right? Because we've all sinned. And some of us we have, may have fallen short in the sexual immorality category. The great thing is God does not leave you there. Just because you messed up doesn't mean you're too far gone. That we see in Colossians 2 that Jesus took our place. He took our place so that we would have life in him. And instead of seeing an impure person... God gives us his righteousness through Jesus, that when he sees us, he sees us as pure. That Jesus is the reason, he is the solution. We see in, in Romans 1, uh, it's a famous passage uh, in scripture, but Romans 1, 18 through uh, 32, I won't read all of it, but when it's talking about this, this idea of God's wrath, verse 18 it says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Who by their unrighteousness suppress their truth. So we see the wrath of God is coming for all unrighteousness, whether it be sexual immorality or whatever the sin is, the wrath of God is being revealed for those that suppress the truth. But we even see here where it's being generic and it's saying all unrighteousness. In verse 24, it says, Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, right? That's one of the words. To the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Do we live in a culture that has chucked God and worshiped the creation, worshiped the sexual desire? I think we live in that culture. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving them in themselves the due penalty for that error. So we see in verse 24, it's the impurity of sexual immorality, but also in the man and man and woman and woman relationships, those are not what God designs and God calls sinful. But verse 7, it says, in these you too once walked when you were living in them. He wants to remind the Colossians, you too were once walking in this and living in this, but you don't have to anymore because of Colossians 2, right? Because Jesus came to forgive you. You don't have to stand in the wrath of God because of Jesus. But the biggest difference, because we live in this already not yet paradigm, is that we still do have to struggle. We still do have to fight. But the great thing is, and the difference between believers and non believers in sin is that non believers live and walk in that sin. As believers, we do not live in that sin. We repent of that sin and we turn back to Jesus, right? It's not a habitual thing that we're turning away from and we're, we're, we're seeking and setting our eyes. On Jesus, Your life is now changed because what happened in Colossians 2. God desires us to use our bodies for his glory. Our lives are now different because of what Jesus has done. And we use our body to honor him. Because he is our life. He is what we seek and set our minds on. But Paul doesn't just stop here with sexual immorality. You guys can take a deep breath. We're past the sexual immorality aspect of the message. The second thing, the second point for tonight is that We are called to put to death ungodly speech. He doesn't just stop with sex. He goes on to speech. Put to death ungodly speech. Verses 8 and 9. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Man, gossip and slandering is so easy to us. It's almost like a second language to us, right? We, We talk smack. We talk stuff on people all of the time. Have you guys ever been in a situation where you're talking trash on someone and then all of a sudden you hear Siri on your phone and you're like, oh my goodness, I hope Siri just didn't record that conversation and, and send it to that person because I was saying their name because technology is smart like that. You guys ever had that moment where you're like, oh, they're gonna hear the stuff that I was just talking, right? There's, there's times when we hear that and that's that conviction we're feeling because we're not called to do that. Again, we're called to put to death It says, verse 8, but now you must put them all away. You must put all away. He's about to go through another list. He says, put all of this away. Why? Because Christ is our life. And that cannot be named among us. So he goes through this list. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. He says, do not let that be named among you. Put it to death. Be aggressive. Be intentional with your words. This anger... We're not called to just be angry people. You look on, on social media when it comes to politics or something that people believe in really strongly, people are very angry and uh, wrathful on Facebook. If you ever just watch the parents, one of my favorite things is I got added to the Edmund uh, school parent page. My goodness, that is crazy. But it's also really dishonoring because there's just a lot of angry and wrathful people on there. That doesn't honor the Lord. That's not, we're not called to have that a part of our life. But also, we're called to not have malice and slander and obscene talk. And it's way too easy for us. We're like, okay, we're not angry with our words. Okay, you may not struggle with sexual immorality in the way other people might do, but do you gossip? Do you talk about people beyond their back? Do you belittle people? Do you cut them out from under them to make yourself look better? That is something that just so comes so natural to us. And that's not only just within our school or within our friend group, but even in this church. Let me ask this question. Have you slandered someone in this room's name? Have you slandered someone in this youth group's name? Have you talked bad about them? Have you had obscene talk? Have you slandered their name? Have you spread rumors about them? Have you gossiped about them? Within this church, within your school, within your friend group, can that be said of you? Paul says, put that to death. Don't let that be named among you. He's being serious. He wants us to feel the weight of this. He wants us to feel the weight of sexual immorality, and he wants us to feel the weight of our words. As believers, since Christ is our life, he is our identity, these things cannot be named among us. So for you, don't let that be named among you. It, let me, this, this is a pop quiz for my freshmen in the room that were on the mission trip. Does anyone remember the memory verse I told you to to memorize? Colton, what is it? Here, stand stand up and say it loud because you got it. Give it up for Colton. What is the passage? Ephesians 429. If you want to turn to your Bible in there uh, and to read it as he says it. Colton, what does it say? Amen. Give it up for Colton Simmons. God's word says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only those that build others up. So it's, it's graceful when they hear it. One of the things at Cook that we did all the time, when we heard people slandering or gossiping or bickering back and forth, we'd say, what time is it? And people were like, what? Uh, it's 4 429. It's 429, because we wanted Ephesians 429 to be within the rhythm of a person who is, how the way they live, so that they're always building up one another. So they're not slandering one another. They're not talking bad or corrupting talk about other people. But the words that come out of their mouth are building others up. That should be named among you, not malice, slander, gossip. Don't let that be named among you. Put it to death. Again, in verse 9, it says, do not lie to one another. Again, don't lie to one another. When you're gossiping, most of the time you're lying. Most of the time you're stretching the truth when you're talking trash about people. Don't let that be named among you. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. You've put off the old self. If you're a believer, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you don't have to live like your old self anymore. Don't. Live and walk in that like you once did. You have the Holy Spirit living inside you, empowering for you to live a life for Jesus. So remember that. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, compelling you, guiding you not to walk in your flesh. That's the reason why we put it to death, because we have the flesh guiding us. And my third and final point is this. Be renewed in Jesus. Be renewed in Jesus. So we had said. Put to death sexual immorality. Put to death ungodly speech. And our third point is be renewed in Jesus. Verses 10 and 11. And have put off the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and end all. A reminder, when you are in Christ, you are now a new creation. Christ is your life. You don't have to live like your old self. You now have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Which the passage tells us, when you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you are now being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. If you go back to Colossians 1.15, it reads, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So when you have the Holy Spirit live inside you, you are a believer in Jesus Christ. You are being renewed In the knowledge of Jesus this is the process of sanctification the process of becoming more and more like Jesus it's this process where you're being refined you're being molded to look more like Jesus as a believer you should be molded into the image of Jesus not into the image of the world does that make sense you should look more like Jesus as you live your life rather than this world and when you live in the context we live the world wants you to look like it The world wants you to affirm the things the world affirms. But as believers, we are called to be molded and affirm the things that Scripture tells us. That we become more like Jesus and we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, pushing us towards that. Pointing us towards Scripture. Pointing us to this community where we're going to learn God's word and commune together. My plea for you is to lean into that and not the world. Because it's very easy to lean into what the world wants you to do because you look like a hero in the world's eyes. Rather, lean into how the Holy Spirit is leading you and guiding you and molding you into the image of the Father. In verse 11, here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And that's a reminder for us that Christ is everything to us. As a believer, you may be an athlete. You may be a really good academic. You may be really good at band or whatever it is. That is not your life. Jesus is everything. Nothing can take precedence. Nothing can take priority over him. So when you're wanting to slander someone's name, when you're wanting to talk gossip about someone, remember this. It says neither Greek, Jew, and it goes back and forth, all these warring personalities or groups. It says Christ is all and in all. We have differences with people. We have beef with people, but if we're believers, we both have Christ, and Christ is preeminent. He is the top priority of our life and takes precedence so that we could have community with one another. My plea for you is to put to death the things of this world and respond to Jesus and follow him. So the beautiful thing is as we close is that Jesus doesn't leave us in the path of God's wrath, but he offers us a way out through his death and resurrection. So, So believers in this room, have you allowed the desires of your heart, of sexual immorality, of ungodly speech, have you allowed these desires to fester and not put it to death? Are you fondling and cherishing sinful lust and temptation? You can take the time right now as as the band comes up and begins to worship, you can take this time to repent of that, to turn back to Jesus. You don't have to continue to walk in that lust. You don't have to continue to walk to walk in your pornography addiction. You don't have to continue to walk in your sexual immorale, uh, immorality with the relationships, what you're doing with your boyfriend and girlfriend. You don't have to walk in that any longer. You don't have to walk in in ungodly speech. If you've been gossiping, slandering with one another, if you have beef with one another, take this time and go make it right. We want this time for you to follow what God calls us to do. He says put it to death. So if you've got beef with somebody in the room, go put it to death. With, the, with the, the spirit of Christ. And for believers in this, non-believers in this room, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you might just hear, well, Dylan, that just sounds like a high standard I can't attain to. Well, the thing is, you can't. That's why Jesus came. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to put to death the things of this world. Because without him, we are along with this world in the path of God's wrath. But God gives us a way out, and it's, his name is Jesus. And he came to give life and life abundant so that not only do we get him in eternity when we repent of our sins and trust in him, but we also get him now and that we get to live our most fulfilled and satisfied life following Jesus and the design he's, he's given us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. And I pray as we worship, Lord, that we would just pursue you and seek our, and set our eyes on you, that we would walk out of this place that we would not follow in the, the habits of sin. Lord, that we would put those to death, that we would seek you and make you number one in our life and above all. God, I pray for the Holy Spirit to empower us, empower us to embolden us, that we may live faithful lives to you, that sexual immorality, that ungodly speech would not be named among a person in this room, that our our, our speech would be seasoned with grace, that would be building one another up And the way that we utilize our bodies or is to honor you, follow the design that you've given us. So, Lord, we thank you for your word, and I pray that you would work in us tonight and uh, the rest of this week. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Will you stand and worship?